Oh, hello. Sorry, I didn't see you there. Or rather, hear you there. Because obviously, podcasting is, as ever, an auditory medium. And that is, after all, what you're listening to right now. I'm sorry to say that today we need to interrupt your regularly scheduled verbal discharge for something a little different. Instead of this week's podcast playing host to our usual hijinks and our banter and our whatnots, we have something exciting. We here at Verbal Discharge are very, very proud to present to you the new novella by none other than Lithuanian slash Latvian author and playwright and, frankly, visionary Jorben Bowen, first of his name. Now, the way that we're going to do this is we will do it as if this was an audiobook reading. So, for all you audiobook lovers out there, hey, this one's for you. We will each, as in each member of the Verbal Discharge team, will read out a chapter of the audiobook, so on and so forth, until it's over. And then, hopefully, it will have made you laugh, it will have made you cry, but most importantly, it will have moved you and maybe given you a tiny, tiny bit of an erection. But who knows? I'm not the one to say. If you enjoy what you're listening to, you can find us on Facebook, at Verbal Discharge. You can find us on Twitter, at Verb Radio. Or you can find our website at verbaldischarge.co.uk. Hope you enjoy. And now, Verbal Discharge reads, A Dog's Life. By Jorben Bowen. Chapter 1. It was a Thursday, and like on most Thursdays, Gnarl's Shingler was not like most dogs. While most dogs have fur, tails, and an unquenchable thirst for fun, Gnarl's had skin, no tail, and a promising career as a chartered accountant. Thursdays were always tough for Gnarl's, for Thursday was the day when he had to record his dog cast. Dogcast is a very funny pun he made up, playing on the words podcast and dog, because he's a he's a dog who hosts a podcast. It's a pun that's worthy, really, of one of Scandinavia's finest writers, possibly the finest writer of the 21st century. Every week, Niles used to get together with his close friend, Alan Rickman, and bark about video games for an hour or two. They would talk about the latest game news, about what they were doing, about new releases they were looking forward to, Every week that was, until on the 14th of January 2016, Alan Rickman's owner threw a ball into the middle of the road. Alan Rickman always was the most loyal of pets. He chased it. He chased the ball. He chased the ball right into an oncoming lorry. When Alan Rickman's owner got in to watch the Oscar nominations, he discovered the actor after which his dog was named had also died. It was a tough day and it only made future Thursdays tougher. But this Thursday was even tougher than normal, for this Thursday saw the release of No Dogs Sky. This was the one game Alan Rickman was most looking forward to, the one game he would have died to play. But alas, he just died. Since Alan Rickman had died, however, Knowles had tried to record a series of podcasts. It had solely consisted of him barking into the mic about games but him being a dog was a unique enough angle for them to hold what audience they had, even if Niles' heart struggled to go on, like not Celine Dion. But there was one point of hope. One thing giving Niles hope the podcast could continue. 
but it would require a quest and more expertly written exposition. Narl swung the door open, chiming a small bell through the contextually busy aisles of the Lanedor game store. Lanedor was a small former mining town situated on the western banks of Good Brexiden, the satirically named fictional town in which this story takes place. The store was as packed as it had ever been, meaning it was full of literally a few customers. Narl Shingler raised his undog-like dog nose and sniffed. He sniffed and he sniffed until he had sniffed twice. The Lane Door game store smelt of hormones and nerds. It usually did. But something smelt slightly different this time. Behind the crusty veneer of the full-bodied, damp little game hole lay fragrant notes of panic, of turmoil, of adventure. Niles pushed his way through the crowd of fat teenage nerds that we all secretly, empathically relate to. What the tits is going on here? He barked at the employee behind the counter, who was also a fat nerd. Oh god, it's you! It's you again! The physically repulsive but endearing fat nerd employee yelped. You're, you're that freak who thinks he's a dog. Didn't we ban you after you tried to have sex with the Nintendog stand? That's all in the past, you chubby little cretin, Niles said to the chubby little cretin. Where's no dog sky? I want to explore the shit out of some planets. How else am I going to create this week's dog cast? The crowd murmured apprehensively. Something was wrong. Firstly, it's no man's sky. Secondly, the game's never arrived in store this morning. It was supposed to be here first thing. The delivery driver, Rapid Rupert, is never late. Hence the nickname Rapid Rupert, said the employee who was, and likely still is, a fat nerd. This simply cannot stand. I need a copy of that game, or else I can't record the new episode of my dog cast and avenge the memory of my fallen dog raid, Alan Rickman, or something howled Niles, as he turned on his heels in much the way that a dog wouldn't, and bolted out of the store. I'll find those game copies, if it's the last thing I ever do! It had been three years, and Niles Shingler still had not found a single copy of No Man's Sky, and he never would. In that time, Niles had met a lovely bitch, by which I mean female dog woman, at his workplace, Tesco, and they were wed to her only a year later. It was with her that he had his two lovely children named Philema and Dogette, who were also astoundingly bipedal dogs of no fur that had been crafted by the loving hand of Dr. Moreau himself. Niles, in being unable to find copies of their then hotly anticipated video game, instead found life and love. But happiness? He wasn't sure of that. Happiness had already been a hard thing for Niles to gauge, like his identity as a man or a dog. He would take long looks in the mirror and silently ask himself if he was happy but the heavy-lidded and purple eyes of a doggish man were all the response he needed. The first grey hair had also sprouted in his head fur. He waited for his wife to fall asleep watching the post-Watershed broadcast of Autumn Watch before he scrolled through Metacritic. The time it took him to find an adequate proxy had already brought him into the early morning as new cyber laws in Good Brexident had access to non-Brit sites banned. No Man's Sky, 2016. Niles scrolled down. Disappointing. This year's spore. Niles lifted his reading glasses and pinched the bridge of his nose. Since last year, Niles had become prone to nosebleeds and was never sure when one was coming. It didn't. The rush of blood would have been comforting, though, like proof his body was still warm. 
rather than the cloudy and delirious intangibility that he hadn't realised he was living in. Nar sat outside, waited for his son to come up and hit his neighbour's rooftop in purple brilliance and ate sleeping pill after sleeping pill. Niles basked in the radiance of the green moonlight. Don't you dare talk to me like that, you skin-wearing imposter! Butterflies flew from his fingertips and careened in the patterns of a double and a half helix, a splice between human and dog DNA. Copies of No Man's Sky sprouted wings and dipped and dived between quivering mounds of love pudding. Is this... He depressed the syringe another shot of brown sugar straight into the pipeline. Colours burst from behind his eyes. No, from behind his brain. Is this Rip... Niles swam with Alan Rickman, dog, and Alan Rickman, actor, in the filth of a river that was both the Thames and the River Ganges at the same time. They laughed and frolicked, and the Rickmans melded together, forming into one huge furless mega-dog. Mouths stretched open infinitely wide, eyes like Cruft's hoops, arms punctuated with shards of green glass. Your mum never loved you. TGI Fridays, nuisance, child, whore, campus, bottle, damn rope, hang, swing, litter, landfill, sugar, flies, milk, conception, theory, never dream, spaff, slumber, black night, kite, light, death. Is this real? But Niles knew this wasn't real, and though his mind thrashed against the walls of his being, his body remained comatose. I'm sorry, little Daguette said the doctor to the only surviving member of Niles' family, but you have to be ready for the fact that he may never wake up. What about my brother, mother and brother? barked Daguette in a human voice, sounding not unlike a cockney orphan boy. Oh, they both died or something. Daguette recoiled as if stung by a thousand wasps. It doesn't matter, continued the doctor. It's not like they were important to the story or anything. What happens to my dad now? asked Daguette biting back superficial tears for the inconsequential characters. Well, little Daguette, the only thing that can save your dad is a copy of No Man's Sky. The nurses set a gurney in place and rolled Niles onto it. The comatose man jettisoned a stream of vomit. As for your dad, said the doctor, he is going to the Furry Rehabilitation Centre. Niles? Can you hear me, Niles? Niles? Can you hear me, Niles? Niles! Can you hear me, Niles? I love you, Niles! Niles sat inside his head and tried not to listen to the outside world. He heard his wife's monotonous concern so many times it became background, a foil for the front of his thoughts. It became the backing track, the beat for the rap song Niles was composing. I'm Niles Shingle, the dog, and I'm so sick. Most people think I'm just taking the mick. They think I'm a nutter. Who's lacking paws? Well, I'll show them. I'm no outlaw. Niles, Niles, can you hear me, Niles? Niles, Niles, can you hear me, Niles? Oh, Niles! The rap was shit, and everyone in town knew it. Every evening, Paul would watch Niles struggle to find another verse. And every evening, just as Niles struggled to make... Honest, I'm a real dog, and I have no idea why people keep saying I'm not just because I've got a degree in economics and opposable thumbs. Scan. Paul would put the lead around Niles' neck and take him for a stroll around the block. Paul loved his dog, probably more than the dog's wife loved him, or than that dog loved his kids. 
those relationships are artificial. They're engineered by human nature or dog nature. Jordan missed that out of the book, really. Uh, they're engineered by human nature to force us to procreate and bring up the next generation. But the love between a man and his dog, that is real. That is honest. That is something that only exists because man and dog want to love each other. And that is what Paul had with Niles. And when, during the day, Paul went to work to use his skills as chartered accountant to earn money to buy dog biscuits, Niles would sometimes wonder whether he himself even existed. Even right now, from inside Niles' own imagination, he couldn't be sure if he existed. He could only be sure that he felt love for Paul, and that Paul felt love for him. Niles began to think about the fat nerds that denied him his copy of No Dog Sky. Were they real? Yeah, ob- ob- obviously, he could smell them. Obviously, because he's a dog. Dogs have an incredible sense of smell. They can smell things no human ever could. Humans even have special implements they use to control dogs, because only dogs can smell those implements that they use to control dogs. I am a dog, said Niles, forgetting he was in the public library, and I can smell you, fat nerds. With a newfound sense of purpose, Niles set off to follow the trail of the fat nerds. He dug underground, which dogs do. He briefly chased a bone, which dogs do. And he humped the leg of a man who looked a bit like Rod Hull, which a dog would do, given the chance. He followed the smell of fat nerds. And just as it took him to a cafe bar with a novelty N64 in the corner, he woke up in a straight dog jacket and realised it was a really good sense of hearing that dogs have, not smell. Doggettes, being a three-year-old dog, would be 24 in adult years. Even though Doggett herself looked like a toddler, she was considered more than old enough to be tried as an adult when she was caught weeing on a lamppost in broad daylight. Had she done it in the bushes at one in the morning, about two streets away from the main nightclubs, nobody would have been any the wiser, but this was 12 midday, and people were sleeping their tea. Different rules applied. Since it's your first offence, we'll be letting you off with a fine, said the questioning officer. £250 should be enough to cover the indecency charges. Woof woof, I'm a dog, but wow wow also because I'm a baby, replied Doggett, scratching behind her ear with a foot. The quest laid out by her comatose father had ended as soon as it had started, as not only had Doggett landed herself in custody, but also she had driven herself far into her overdraft with a hefty fine. One step forward, she thought in her non-fully developed brain. Two steps back, or whatever dog version of that would be, Jobin, please return to this and think of a better joke. She bumbled out of the police station with her freakish dog baby form and tumbled down the steps onto the street where, distracting her from a newly shattered pelvis, she found a flyer promoting a new business opportunity. Need dog-human test subjects for completely ethical experiment. Upfront pay of £250 and a copy of No Man's Sky. Please contact reversemoreau at aol.co.uk to apply. Doggett dragged herself along the ground. She dragged herself along in that way that dogs do when they have worms. Four legs forward first, then they drag that, ooh, delicious little dog booty along the ground. Except, Doggett did not have worms. I mean, she might have done, but I can't say for certain, and frankly, I'm not one to stir shit. Doggett was dragging herself along in this ridiculous fashion because she had just, as you may recall, shattered the ever-loving tits out of her pelvis. Doggett dragged herself all the way to an internet cafe. Bark, bark! she said to the man at the counter. I mean, I need to use a computer. The man, 
who was unsurprisingly a fat nerd, looked her up and down. Sorry, we don't take kindly to your breeding here, he said, and went back to eating junk food and playing World of Warcraft or something. Doggett turned her nose up in disgust. I don't care about your prejudices, but I need to use a computer to email Reverse Moreau so I can undergo one of his experiments to receive a cash payout and a copy of No Man's Sky to complete a quest that was given to me by my father, who the reader has recently discovered to be insane. (gasps) Also bark. I'm a dog, she whined. The fat nerd at the counter looked up from his raiding party and stared deeply into Doggett's beady little dog eyes. That sounds like an incredibly convoluted plot he said. But I'm still going to have to ask you to leave. Doggett scoffed. Look here, you obese geek. The chapter has already gone on for long enough, and I need to find Reverse Moreau. So you better call me Rosa Parks, because I'm going to park my shattered little dog keister right here until you let me use a computer. The fat nerd smirked as tinges of smug satisfaction ran across his face. He quickly pressed the flat palms of his hands together producing a sharp sound. He did this again and again and again in a display of either satisfaction or merriment. Doggett might have understood this to be clapping, but she didn't because she's a fucking dog. Well done, my dear Doggett, the fat nerd said. You have passed the test. He pressed a button under the counter and the entire internet cafe began to rotate. All the nerds and compulsive masturbators that lay within clung to their desks and penises as they rotated through a wall, which in turn revealed a huge laboratory. The laboratory was filled with science equipment and general mechanical bits and stuff, all of which was centred around an enormous isolation chamber. But I I don't understand, said Doggett. Who are you? The fat nerd grasped at the lower corner of his face, and pulled back his mask, what, no way, to reveal a slightly less fat, slightly less nerdy, fat nerd. It was me all along. I am Reverse Moreau, and I always have been, he said like the fat nerd he was, and you are to be my next subject. Doggette breathed deeply, and then panted with her tongue hanging out of the side of her mouth, because she is a dog. Okay, As long as I get my cash payout and my copy of No Man's Sky, what are we going to do? Reverse Moreau paced through his laboratory. He took a white coat from the wall and put it on. We are going to subject you to a radical new treatment, he said. In a few moments, you will enter that isolation chamber. Whilst you are in there, you may undergo profound visions the likes of which you have never seen, but this is to be expected. If all goes according to plan, when you emerge, you will look... different. Reverse Moreau started punching keys on the computer, running simulations and diagnostics. Different? asked Doggett. Different how? You will no longer resemble a dog, Mrs. Doggett. You will cast off your former beastly ways and be born anew. You will be born as a human, as a new man, as Alan Rickman. The smell of sterilizing alcohol assaulted Daggett's olfactory senses. 
she blinked her bleary dog eyes and looked over at the set of medical instruments laid out beside the gurney. They were not sterilised. Little chunks of hair and shit clung to them like Wookiee's dingleberries. Where is that smell coming from? Deget whimpered, doggily, inhuman. Huh? said the fat nerd, working over the computer with suspect images of scantily clad anime girls. Reverse Moreau rolled his chair over to the gurney, chuckling to himself, and breathed heavily over Deget's twenty-four slash three-year-old body. Then she smelt it. Moreau had obviously been drinking the sterilising alcohol. The university said I could never do it, screamed Moreau. Now I'm going to prove them wrong. Deget began to wish that she hadn't agreed to what was quickly turning out to be this fat nerd's masturbatory fantasy. Moreau hit the switch and the isolation chamber came to life. Like, literally to life. Small glass nodules shuddered like vestigial limbs. Beta waves filled the air like a banshee's cancer-inducing scream. Crusted semen pulled away in vast sheets as the desk melted into a brown puddle. Moreau laughed maniacally. The circular roof of the chamber became a swirling vortex, though it did not pull anything in. Instead, a gold-plated sarcophagus was lowered down to the room by limbs that did not appear to be attached to anything. Moreau peeled back the golden lid, trying hard to conceal his erection, and lifted Alan Rickman's bloated corpse from the padded velvet interior. The corpse made nasal noises that could only be attributed with Rickman's rather sexual voice. Reverse Moreau waved the copy of No Man Slash Dog Sky. I don't fucking know anymore. It's like four different people are in my head trying to write a coherent plotline. Anyway, he waved the copy of the game in front of Deguette's face, and that was all the incentive this child slash adult slash girl slash bitch needed. Deget nodded at Moreau, telling him with her, telling him with her puppy dog eyes, which is a saying, but also what her eyes were, I think, that she was ready for surgery. When you awake, you won't be the same as before. People will worship the ground you walk on. Moreau swallowed back some fat nerd bile, probably brought on by the fact that his saliva glands secrete pure mayonnaise. Some people especially those Harry Potter-loving fucks, will try to hump your legs, but it'll all be worth it. You'll be my pet. Isn't that ironic? Deget just nodded, because dogs don't understand the concept of irony. Yes, my pet Rickman, said Moreau, rubbing himself through the fabric of his Sailor Moon sweatpants. He pulled out a syringe and half-filled it with liquid. Binding agent, he mumbled to himself. And a little bit of anaesthetic, he said, filling the other half of the syringe. He stroked Deguette's head like a dog's head should be stroked, shushed her whimpering, and stuck the needle deep into her carotid artery. Deguette felt her eyelids flutter. She looked past Moreau at the game she so badly needed to save her father. Shit, she mutter barked as her eyes rolled back into her skull. Dad doesn't have a PS4. Dogs also have a really good sense of smell, you know, said Dr. France. I know, responded Niles, but I forgot that, and the moment I forgot that, I no longer have a really good sense of smell. Dr. France's eyebrows shrugged. 
He got into psychiatry to help people, but now he merely observed them. If all people consider themselves the main character in the film of their life, then Dr. Franz was the exception. He considered himself the camera. Doggette also had a really good sense of smell when she was a puppy. Or Doggette, as I used to call her. I was so funny, said Niles, demonstrating that he wasn't. Maybe that's why I got confused. Maybe. So where's Doggett now? Dr. Franz said for a sigh, watching the clock. Probably nowhere. Maybe somewhere. Doggett barked a pained scream. This was not fun. Then she remembered that Dad did actually have a PS4 and felt better for a second, but only a second. Everyone told him he was supposed to be a dull job, but Paul genuinely enjoyed being a chartered accountant. He liked numbers and he liked his salary, which was a number. It allowed him to do most of the things he always wanted to do. Own a car and yet still use buses from time to time, buy organic pasta rather than own brand spaghetti, own both a PS4 and an Xbox One, and afford a clip of Gary Busey saying, Happy birthday! from celebvm.com. He'd sometimes watch it even when it wasn't his birthday. He just wanted to get his money worth out of it. By this point, it was a solid investment. In fact, there's only really one thing that Paul wanted to do with his life and yet had not managed to do. And that was to become a dog called Niles, find a beautiful bitch to share his life with, perhaps have a few bitch kids. This, Paul had to accept, was one of the world's limitations. And this was something he would never do. Like, let the people at work find out his Reddit username. He owned a dog. He named it Alan Rickman, after a name he saw randomly graffitied on a poster for the hit comedy Galaxy Quest at his local cinema in 1999. Over the years, Paul and Alan Rickman had become more than dog and owner. They'd become best friends. They would talk to each other. Sometimes Alan Rickman would speak in human. Sometimes Paul would speak in dog. But they always accommodated each other. Alan Rickman was the only one Paul trusted. He was the only one he would tell all the secrets of his desire to become Niles the Dog. That he actually liked Paul Figg's Ghostbusters. That his Reddit username was reversed Moreau. And he didn't even have a throwaway. They made each other comfortable. Their relationship made Paul happy rather than simply content, regardless of his inability to achieve his dreams. Paul loved Alan Rickman, and Alan Rickman loved Paul, in the way only dog and man can. You know, like, if you want an example, why not look at your your mum and your, your dad, because your mum's a dog, and her, her da- your dad loves her in the only the way a man can love her. Love a dog because your mum's a your dad's a man. Your dad's a, that's fine. You you knew that already, uh, unless they aren't. In which case, good for them. Doggett continued to bark a pain scream. This still wasn't fun. Then Moreau thought so. Oh man, he was having so much fun. He cackled and cried and grinned and gurned and remained erect the entire time. This is for you, Alan Rickman. Though I can't bring you back, I can make you again. Moreau had such a knack for exposition, he should consider becoming an author of really, really, really good books, such as this one. We can be best friends again! We can play- The process was taking longer than he expected, so he allowed a gap in his monologue so he could finish at a more dramatic point. He continued to do some more science, and some disgusting shit to a dog. For now, the day we have been waiting for has come. For it is now the day we have been waiting for, the day we can sit down and play, the day we can sit down and record a podcast, the day we can sit down together and play. No! Dogs! Sky! The process finished, and Doggett tumbled out, blinking into the sun. It was surely over. She didn't know it. But worse, she didn't even care. Paul startled awake and shot bolt upright in bed. 
He fumbled to his bedside for the lamp and switched it on. He panted and panted, placing his hand on his chest and feeling his heart racing. Paul? Baby? What's wrong? Paul's wife Sarah said, stirring from her slumber. Paul felt his pulse beginning to calm, like it always did, and the fear began to creep in, like it always did. Paul? You're covered in sweat! Uh, Am I? Paul said, feeling it coat his skin now for the first time. Oh, fuck. I, I need to shower. This is disgusting, Paul said, throwing the duvet aside and beginning to stand. No, Sarah begged. Don't. She gently pulled him back down to the bed and rested her hands on his shoulders. You had that dream again, didn't you? Paul winced. The shame, the embarrassment. It pained him to be beaten by his own dreams, to be rendered a quivering, fearful mess by little more than his own thoughts. Yeah, I I had it again, he said. Oh, baby, come here, Sarah said, pulling him into her arms and cradling him. It's all right. None of it's real. You know that, she reassured him as she gently stroked his hair. I I know, of, of, of course not. It's just... Paul struggled to find the words. Something was... It was different this time. There were all of these human dog creature things. And there were... There were all of these nerds. Regular nerds? Sarah asked. No, they were all really fat. And everyone just kept talking about this game. It was something to do with this this sky that no dogs or men owned. Dogs or men? Which, which was it? I don't know, cried Paul as he burst into tears and buried his face in Sarah's chest. He wept deeply and intensely, like only a chartered accountant can, as Sarah stroked the hair of her husband. He wept like a baby. He usually did after these dreams. When she'd agreed to marry him, things were different. Paul was ambitious, outgoing, and had a promising future in the cutthroat world of accountancy. he captured her heart and her mind. He made her think things might be bright in the world of tomorrow. But now, he isn't even half the man he once was. To look at him made her feel nothing more than sorrow. Sorrow and regret for the years of her life she devoted to this sorry excuse for a man. Should I leave him? She wondered to herself. There was a young man who worked at the local post office who always casually flirted with her. Perhaps she could seduce him into selling all of his things and together they could elope on a romantic trip around the world. Why not? She could do away with all the nonsense and try to get that spark back into her life. But... She knew deep down that she never would. She knew she'd be stuck with Paul until the day she died. She'd been with him for too long now. Paul stopped weeping. Perhaps it was time to go back to bed. The dreams only came every few months, and he had to be up for work early tomorrow. He pulled himself out of his wife's embrace and looked her in the eye. I just... I think I want to go back to bed, he said to her. Are you sure? she asked. We can we can stay up if you'd like to. No, I, I just... I, I just want to go back to sleep, Paul said. He laid back down and flicked the lamplight off. I love you, Sarah assured him. 
kissing him on the cheek and laying back down next to him. Paul shut his eyes. Maybe in the morning everything would be better. Just maybe. Baby, one more thing, Sarah said. What, what is it? asked Paul as he flicked the light back on. He rolled over and looked straight into the eyes of Reverse Moreau. The experiment was a complete success, said Reverse Moreau. I hope the visions were not too intense for you, Mrs. Doggett. Or should I say, Mr. Rickman? Some people say that dreams are a window into the future. Others say that they reveal hidden truths. And some people say that they are nothing else but a series of thoughts, images and sensations occurring in a person's mind during sleep. De Get Rickman agreed with the latter. All of her purposeful dreams had been shattered when Reverse Moreau spliced pieces of Alan Rickman onto her. The fetid pieces of flesh stuck to her visage and created a collage of unbearable hideousness. She dragged her shattered body to the door and out onto the street, clutching a copy of No Mammal's Sky between her half-human, half-dog, half-Rickman teeth. Pedestrians recoiled from her in horror. Members of Brexit and First pointed at her and said, Go back to your own country. But she dragged on, the little girl, her poor shattered body leaving a trail of blood and faeces behind. In fact, she went in a whole large loop around the entire estate before returning to the internet cafe. I hope this cures you at last, muttered Duguette. Slash Rickman, looking up at the internet cafe, which was also a laboratory, and also her dad's house. She pushed on the door, which swung open to reveal the living room of her dad's house. Her dad sat there, watching Channel 4's new TV show, Naked Attraction, his feet up on the Sarah stool. The footstool was made of her mother's tanned skin, stretched over a wooden frame. Hoodie, is that you?' called her dad, Paul. "'It's me, wine to get.' Oh my god! exclaimed her dad. What happened to you? It doesn't matter. Here. To get past him the game. No! He stumbled around, clutching the game in one hand and his face in the other. No man's sky? Paul's world imploded. He remembered it all. And it all started with his fetish for dressing himself and Sarah up as dogs and having sex. He even invested in a matching pair of dog-tail butt-plugs, one for each of them. His furry name had been Nars. But it quickly spiralled from a fetish into a pure, unadulterated obsession. Sarah tried to leave him and he peeled her like an orange with a letter opener. He tried to sew fur into her but she died in the process. His parents had always wanted him to be a surgeon. They had taken him for his first day at Moreau's School for Surgery. But the car had got stuck in reverse and they rolled backwards into Ailey. His parents had drowned and reverse Moreau had been born. And then the pet dog, Alan Rickman, had been hit by a car. The last thing he loved, taken away from him. He looked for the answer in his daughter, turning her into a dog-human hybrid with his less-than-satisfactory surgical techniques. 
and now she lay dying at his feet, and it was all his fault. So he did the one thing, the only thing he could do to make it right. He stomped on her head, cut her into little bits, and buried her in the garden. Paul lived on his life as a chartered accountant, no longer plagued by the multiple personalities born out of various traumatic experiences. He was cured, but he was still a shit person. The end. Squave, 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 squave. And so that brings us to the end of another episode of Verbal Discharge. For those of you wondering just why you spent half an hour listening to four people in sequence read out chapters they wrote of a story sort of as a big game of consequences each with one of them paying very little heedance to what was actually going on in the plot, what the previous person wrote, um, that absolutely was not what just happened. That was not what you just listened to. You just listened to the latest masterwork by Jordan Bowen, the world's greatest living author, a man that is so great, so wonderful, that people actually stop him in the street in order to, to bow, to curtsy, to actually kiss his shoes. He once actually met Alexander the Great, and Alexander actually felt his title was a bit pompous after that, and changed his name to just Alexander or Alex to his friends um, but yeah if you want to dance in the puddle of nonsense which we have so lightly dipped you over these last 40 minutes or so then you can of course uh, there's loads more verbal show stuff going on we have the podcast every week as well as that there is the Facebook page at facebook.com for us verbal discharge at verbal radio on Twitter again James mentioned these at the start so you should be very familiar um, then the website, verbaldischarge.co.uk. There wasn't, unfortunately, an article up this week, but there should be a couple of the next week, so that should be exciting. Um, there's also, coming up, two live shows. First one, September 15th, at the Maypole in Derby, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. Uh, that was, yeah, 15th at half seven. So if you please, please come along, get involved. Um, you can see the video of what happened last time. We've got more things planned, more exciting things, and we won't be doing a half-hour table read of a job and bow masterpiece this time, as happened at the last live show. We've also got the Nottingham Comedy Festival. As part of that, on November the 7th at the Malt Cross in Nottingham, we are doing an American election special. It may involve wigs. So, again, if you want to come along to that, tickets are actually on sale now. There's a link on the website if you want to head to verbaldischarge.co.uk and click on live shows. You should be able to find a link there to buy tickets. So, in the meantime, I just want to thank you all for listening. Thank you all for enjoying. And thank you very much to Jorben Bowen for letting us read your new masterwork on the podcast. We should be back next week with a more standard podcast. However, in the meantime, from the recording, I'm going to leave James to have the final word of the show. Fucking hell. Worst fucking performance of my life.